Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Transfiguration. The transfiguration of our Lord is uh, something that we Lutherans, believe it or not, uh, we love this day for a certain reason, uh, a little bit of liturgical nerd talk here, I guess you could say, um, that if you look at any other church, they celebrate the Transfiguration sometime in August, right? Lutherans are pretty uh, distinct in uh, celebrating the Transfiguration right before Lent. Um, And that's because we see, or at least our forefathers saw, a great connection here. Because the season of Lent is coming. It is fast upon us. And it's one of those things that if you're not ready for it, it can catch you off guard. You know, I don't know if you have any traditions yourselves personally about saying, I'm going to give up certain things. I'm going to give up sweets. I'm going to give up uh, beer or alcohol or something like that just for these 40 days of Lent, just so I can spend whatever time I would have had doing that or whatever I, uh, you know, taking that time and giving it somewhere else, reading God's word, um, praying, doing more things like that, kind of like what we talked about last week. If you're not prepared for it, it can sneak up on you and you're halfway through Lent and you go, oh, forgot to give something up. Oh, well, maybe next year, right? And you miss out, you miss out. But that's kind of the sinful flesh, right? The sinful flesh wants to find all kinds of excuses as to why we don't necessarily need to go and do that, right? Even though it's good for us, our sinful flesh tries to find ways to say, you know, I'll just get to that tomorrow. I won't worry about it today. You know, I've I've already broken the fast or I've already had a piece of candy. Oh, well, let's just try again later, right? But it's one of those things that we can see something in Scripture here that uh, from the transfiguration and the context surrounding the transfiguration that can help us on our journey, not just into Lent, but every day for the rest of our lives, doing the things that we really should be doing, even in small pieces, slowly but surely building up and building up in our piety, in our godliness, in our devotion toward God, that we see that in the transfiguration, we see something, well, I think it's kind of an interesting story. So you see the transfiguration. We just heard it, that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. We don't really know what mountain it is. Scripture never says. Traditions have their ideas. But on transfiguration mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus brings his three closest disciples with him, And he's changed, he's transfigured to where he is showing the fullness of God's glory radiating through him. And in Mark, it has, I think he's the only one that really says this, I could be wrong, but he says, or at least the text says that his white, his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them, can bleach them, right? Um, And you see this transformation, and you see that Jesus is speaking with two people. He's speaking with Moses and and 
Elijah. And there's this question. What are they talking about, right? Have you ever wondered that? What are Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking about? Well, we don't have to speculate. Luke, in his gospel, tells us that they were just speaking his departure, his death, his coming crucifixion. Actually, it's very interesting, the Greek word used is the exodus that he would be having, right? They're talking about these things. Moses and, and Elijah are fascinated. Just like all heaven is fascinated at the fact that God becomes man and then dies for all mankind to forgive their sins and bring them into life everlasting. That's what they want to talk about. And then what happens? <laughs> well, Peter butts in, right? Peter butts in and says, Lord, it is, it is good that we are here, right? He says, let's, let's build three tents, right? Three tabernacles, one for you, Mo, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, so that we don't ever have to leave this place because it is so great being here, right? That's Peter's sinful flesh talking. He doesn't want to leave. He knows a good thing when he sees it, right? But this is not something new to Peter because actually just before this event, Peter makes the wonderful confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God, right? When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. And then after that, Jesus starts to teach them about how he must be crucified and die and on the third day rise from the dead again. And what does Peter say to that? Does he say, well, sounds like a good idea, Lord. Let's just go to the crucifixion. He says, no, Lord, far be it from you. This shall never happen to you, right? Because he knows a good thing when he sees it. Or at least he thinks he does, right? He thinks he does. And he tells Jesus, far be it from you. He literally rebukes Jesus for this wonderful thing that he's going to go do. And Jesus, after just saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, for your name is Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. On this confession of me as the Christ, I will build my church. Right after that, because of what Peter says and saying, no, we don't want the cross, Lord. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Your sinful flesh is getting in the way. And then it's kind of awkward after that, because Jesus says, in all three Gospels, he does talk about how, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels, will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with, with, excuse me, with the holy angels. So 
clearly a rebuke for Peter. Clearly a rebuke for all of us who desire the things of the flesh, who desire the things of this world, because we think that that's where the goods are, right? For we think that when we see something with our eyes that looks glorious and wonderful and too good to be true, we want to hold on to it. But when we hear about the crucifixion of Jesus, sometimes that can get us a little uncomfortable. When we hear about Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me, in Luke, he's recorded as saying, pick up your, pick up your cross and follow me daily. That's where we start to say, oh, I don't know, I'm a little busy. I don't know, it sounds a little hard. I don't know, I, I, I got something else to do or... or Oh, well, you know, I already, I already gave in to that one temptation. I might as well give in to more. It's just too late for me, right? So we see here that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's sinful flesh gives in again. He sees the fullness of the divinity of Jesus shining through. And so he says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us stay right here. Let's not go down on the mountain. Let's stay here. Because this is the best thing we've ever seen. And in fact, you might even say that as he heard, because of what Luke records, that they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, Paul might, sorry, Peter might have even butted in because he doesn't want to hear about that cross business, right? He doesn't want to hear about the crucifixion business. That in heaven, the only thing they really care to know about, in fact, it's recorded elsewhere, that the angels long to see, long to ponder the things of God becoming man to die for the sins of the world. And yet Peter doesn't want to have any of it. When he hears this discussion between those three men, Jesus, Moses, and Aunt, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, he hears the cross again, and he says, let's change the subject. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about how great it is to be here, and let's never leave. So then what happens? <laughs> then a cloud shows up. Now, if you know about the cloud in Scripture, you know that that is the sign that that is the place where God and God dwells in his glory. You know the Exodus when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert, the Lord led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that in that cloud is the fullness of God's glory. And in this cloud, it appears. And what we would understand as the voice of the Father comes forth and rebukes Peter. He had been rebuked once by the Son. Now he's being rebuked by the Father to basically say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Read between the lines, Peter. Stop talking <laughs> and listen, right? Listen to Jesus and what he has to say. Don't interrupt him when he's talking about the cross. Don't tell him that it's far, be it, it should be far, far away from him, that it should never happened to him, listen to him, right? And this, surely, is terrifying, and it rightly terrifies them. And then, 
Matthew in his account, and I'm, I'm going back and forth between the different accounts because it's amazing to see just what is brought out by the different accounts. That in Matthew's gospel, he says that not only do they look around to see that Jesus is the only one there or that they, he's the only one they see, he says that Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise and don't be afraid. That in this act of the transfiguration, when Peter wrongfully sticks his foot in his mouth once again and lets his sinful flesh get the better of him once again, and the Father this time comes down and says, Be quiet, Peter, listen to him. God does not destroy him, but the Son, Jesus Christ, comes. And he comes between his father and the sinner and lays his hand on him and says, rise, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so he surely says this to you. He stands between the wrath of God and you. When you do the things that you ought not, when you follow the ways of the world and the devil and the sinful flesh and you say the things you ought not say and you do the things you ought not do and God rightfully comes and rebukes you according to his good and perfect law and you are rightfully terrified and you fall down on your knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me. He does. His son comes to you. He lays his hand on you and he says, Arise, do not be afraid, for where I am going is the place to which will give you life, though I die, right? Because after this, when they go down from the mountain, they go down on their long journey to Jerusalem, to the cross. So what can we gain from this? We can gain that we are sinners just like Peter. That we say the things we ought not say and do the things we ought not do and we cringe and we turn away from the word of God when it says that we should die to ourselves and live to God. That we should crucify our flesh so that we might live in Christ. That God gives us the strength to endure that struggle because it's part of our natural sinful flesh to say, I don't want anything to do with the cross. I don't want anything to do with shunning this world because I don't know if I can handle the pain that comes from that. It is painful. It is hard. It is difficult. And yet, Jesus still says, pick up your cross and follow me. So that is what we are doing. We are given this great gift in the church here of Lent to have a time set aside for the discipline that we need to crucify our flesh, to deny ourselves something that we really, really want, but we don't necessarily need. 
all for the sake of knowing that it is not by bread, for man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That in that time of struggle, in that time of practicing the discipline that is good for us, we would pray, we would read God's word, we would be so absorbed with his grace that we would say, Amen, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So as we go from here, we march on toward that cross on Good Friday. And we march on knowing that where we go, though our sinful flesh will go kicking and screaming, we know that where we go is the place of life. Where we are headed to, though that cross be black as night, three days later, the bright, the bright light will be so great we can't even comprehend it. The eternal life that is won for us in Christ is truly more than we can ever comprehend. So as we go down from the mountain today, we go into the valley of the shadow of death, know that the Lord leads you, that his hand comforts you, that his rod and his staff protect you and lead you where you ought to go so that he would feed you and take care of you all the days of your life. So this cross that you carry today and for the rest of your life, this side of glory may feel heavy. But once that burden is taken from you by Jesus, even now you can kind of get a sense, right? You can kind of get a sense of the burden being raised off of your shoulders because Jesus says, I will take this for you. I will bear this for you. And he does. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he has been crucified for us and now lives and reigns on high for us that we would live with him so that we would live and reign with him with him with him excuse me with him for all time and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our lord amen, amen.